Chapter 4, Part 3 of Fox's Book of Martyrs, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sean F. Sawyers. Fox's Book of Martyrs, Volume 1, by John Fox. Edited by William Byron Forbush. Chapter 4, Papal Persecutions, Part 3. Martyrdom of John Calas. We pass over many other individual martyrdoms to insert that of John Calas, which took place as recently as 1761, and is an indubitable proof of the bigotry of popery, and shows that neither experience nor improvement can root out the inveterate prejudices of the Roman Catholics, or render them less cruel or inexorable to Protestants. John Calas was a merchant of the city of Toulouse, where he had been settled, and lived in good repute, and had married an Englishwoman of French extraction. Calas and his wife were Protestants, and had five sons, whom they educated in the same religion. But Louis, one of the sons, became a Roman Catholic, having been converted by a maidservant, who had lived in the family about thirty years. The father, however, did not express any resentment or ill-will upon the occasion, but kept the maid in the family, and settled an annuity upon the son. In October 1761, the family consisted of John Calas and his wife, one woman servant, Mark Antony Calas, the eldest son, and Peter Calas, the second son. Mark Antony was bred to the law, but could not be admitted to practice, on account of his being a Protestant. Hence, he grew melancholy, read all the books he could procure relative to suicide, and seemed determined to destroy himself. To this may be added that he led a dissipated life, was greatly addicted to gaming, and did all which could constitute the character of a libertine, on which account his father frequently reprehended him, and sometimes in terms of severity, which considerably added to the gloom that seemed to oppress him. On the 13th of October, 1761, Mr. Gober La a young gentleman about 19 years of age, the son of La a celebrated advocate of Toulouse, about five o'clock in the evening was met by John Calas, the father, and the eldest son, Mark Antony, who was his friend. Calas, the father, invited him to supper, and the family and their guest sat down in a room up one pair of stairs. The whole company consisted of Calas the father, and his wife, Antony and Peter Calas, the sons, and Levisa the guest, no other person being in the house, except the maid-servant who has been already mentioned. It was now about seven o'clock. The supper was not long, but before it was over, Antony left the table and went into the kitchen, which was on the same floor, as he was accustomed to do. The maid asked him if he was cold. He answered, quite the contrary, I burn, and then left her. In the meantime, his friend and family left the room they had supped in, and went into a bedchamber. The father and Levisa sat down together on a sofa, the younger son Peter in an elbow chair, and the mother in another chair, and, without making any inquiry after Antony, continued in conversation together until between nine and ten o'clock, when Levisa took his leave, and Peter, who had fallen asleep, was awakened to attend him with a light. 
On the ground floor of Calassus House was a shop and a warehouse, the latter of which was divided from the shop by a pair of folding doors. When Peter Calas and Levisa came downstairs into the shop, they were extremely shocked to see Antony hanging in his shirt from a bar which he had laid across the top of the two folding doors, having half opened them for that purpose. On discovery of this horrid spectacle, they shrieked out, which brought down Calas the father, the mother being seized with such terror as kept her trembling in the passage above. When the maid discovered what had happened, she continued below, either because she feared to carry an account of it to her mistress, or because she busied herself in doing some good office to her master, who was embracing the body of his son, and bathing it in his tears. The mother, therefore, being thus left alone, went down and mixed in the scene that has been already described, with such emotions as it must naturally produce. In the meantime, Peter had been sent for La Moray, a surgeon in the neighborhood. La Moray was not at home, but his apprentice, Mr. Grossel, came instantly. Upon examination, he found the body quite dead, and by this time a papistical crowd of people were gathered about the house, and, having by some means heard that Antony Calas was suddenly dead, and that the surgeon who had examined the body declared he had been strangled, they took it into their heads he had been murdered, and as the family was Protestant, they presently supposed that the young man was about to change his religion and had been put to death for that reason. The poor father, overwhelmed with grief for the loss of his child, was advised by his friends to send for the officers of justice to prevent his being torn to pieces by the Catholic multitude, who supposed he had murdered his son. This was accordingly done, and David, the chief magistrate, or capital, took the father, Peter the son, the mother, Lavasa, and the maid, all into custody, and set a guard over them. He sent for M. de la Tour, a physician, and M. M. la Marquet and Peronet, surgeons, who examined the body for marks of violence, but found none except the mark of the ligature on the neck. They found also the hair of the deceased done up in the usual manner, perfectly smooth and without the least disorder. His clothes were also regularly folded up and laid upon the counter, nor was his shirt either torn or unbuttoned. Notwithstanding these innocent appearances, the capital thought proper to agree with the opinion of the mob, and took it into his head that old Calas had sent for Levisa, telling him that he had a son to be hanged, that Levisa had come to perform the office of executioner, and that he had received assistance from the father and brother. As no proof of the supposed fact could be procured, the capital had recourse to a monitory or general information in which the crime was taken for granted, and persons were required to give such testimony against it as they were able. This recites that Levisa was commissioned by the Protestants to be their executioner in ordinary, when any of their children were to be hanged for changing their religion. It recites also that when the Protestants thus hang their children, they compel them to kneel, and one of the interrogatories was whether any person had seen Antony Calas kneel before his father, when he strangled him. It recites likewise that Antony died a Roman Catholic, and requires evidence of his Catholicism. But before this monitory was published, the mob had got a notion that Antony Calas was the next day to have entered into the fraternity of the white penitents. The capital therefore caused his body to be buried in the middle of St. Stephen's Church.
A few days after the interment of the deceased, the white penitents performed a solemn service for him in their chapel. The church was hung with white, and a tomb was raised in the middle of it, on the top of which was placed a human skeleton holding in one hand a paper, on which was written, Abjuration of Heresy, and in the other a palm, the emblem of martyrdom. The next day the Franciscans performed a service of the same kind for him. The capital continued the persecution with unrelenting severity, and without the least proof coming in, thought fit to condemn the unhappy father, mother, brother, friend, and servant to the torture, and put them all into irons on the 18th of November. From these dreadful proceedings the sufferers appealed to the Parliament, which immediately took cognizance of the affair, and annulled the sentence of the capital as irregular, but they continued the prosecution and, upon the hangman deposing it was impossible, Antony should hang himself, as was pretended, the majority of the Parliament were of the opinion that the prisoners were guilty, and therefore ordered them to be tried by the criminal court of Toulouse. One voted him innocent, but after long debates the majority was for the torture and wheel, and probably condemned the father by way of experiment, whether he was guilty or not, hoping he would, in the agony, confess the crime and accused the other prisoners, whose fate, therefore, they suspended. Poor Calas, however, an old man of sixty-eight, was condemned to this dreadful punishment alone. He suffered the torture with great constancy, and was led to execution in a frame of mind which excited the admiration of all that saw him. And particularly, two of the Dominicans, Father Borges and Father Coldigues, who attended him in his last moments, and declared that they thought him not only innocent of the crime laid to his charge, but also an exemplary instance of true Christian patience, fortitude, and charity. When he saw the executioner prepared to give him the last stroke, he made a fresh declaration to Father Borges, but while the words were still in his mouth, the capital, the author of this catastrophe, who came upon the scaffold merely to gratify his desire of being a witness of his punishment and death, ran up to him and bawled out, Wretch, there are faggots which are to reduce your body to ashes. Speak the truth. M. Calas made no reply, but turned his head a little aside, and that moment the executioner did his office. The popular outcry against this family was so violent in Languedoc that everybody expected to see the children of Calas broke upon the wheel and the mother burnt alive. Young Donat Calas was advised to fly into Switzerland. He went, and found a gentleman who, at first, could only pity and relieve him, without daring to judge of the rigor exercised against the father, mother, and brothers. Soon after, one of the brothers, who was only banished, likewise threw himself into the arms of the same person, who, for more than a month, took every possible precaution to be assured of the innocence of the family. Once convinced, he thought himself obliged in conscience to employ his friends, his purse, his pen, and his credit to repair the fatal mistake of the seven judges of Toulouse, and to have the proceedings revised by the king's council. This revision lasted three years, and it is well known what honor Messrs. de Grosne and Bacuancourt acquired by investigating this memorable cause. Fifty masters of the court of requests unanimously declared the whole family of Calas innocent, and recommended them to the benevolent justice of his majesty. 
the Duke de Choiseul, who never let slip an opportunity of signalizing the greatness of his character, not only assisted this unfortunate family with money, but obtained for them a gratuity of 36,000 livres from the king. On the 9th of March, 1765, the arrest was signed which justified the family of Calas and changed their fate. The 9th of March, 1762, was the very day on which the innocent and virtuous father of that family had been executed. All Paris ran in crowds to see them come out of prison, and clapped their hands for joy while the tears streamed from their eyes. This dreadful example of bigotry employed the pen of Voltaire in deprecation of the horrors of superstition. And though an infidel himself, his essay on toleration does honor to his pen, and has been a blessed means of abating the rigor of persecution in most European states. Gospel purity will equally shun superstition and cruelty, as the mildness of Christ's tenets teaches only to comfort in this world, and to procure salvation in the next. To persecute for being of a different opinion is as absurd as to persecute for having a different countenance. If we honor God, keep sacred the pure doctrines of Christ, put a full confidence in the promises contained in the Holy Scriptures, and obey the political laws of the state in which we reside, we have an undoubted right to protection instead of persecution, and to serve heaven as our conscience, regulated by the gospel rules, may direct. End of chapter 4 Recording by Sean F. Sawyers, O'Fallon, Missouri